Hi, and welcome to Name Drop San Diego. I'm Christy Totten here with Abby Hamblin. It's definitely an interesting time to be a restaurant owner, and today we'll be talking to a San Diegan who owns a lot of them. Brian Malarkey opened several new restaurants in 2019, including Herb and C in Encinitas and Anime in downtown San Diego. And if that wasn't enough, he went on Top Chef last year. He was on the show in 2007, but returned to compete in Top Chef All-Stars in Los Angeles. The show debuted back in March, and we talked to Brian about why he decided to go back. He's made quite the career for himself as a television chef, even hosting alongside Anthony Bourdain. We talked to him about that, his favorite takeout, and how he's pivoted to online cooking during the pandemic. Here's our interview with Brian Malarkey. Let's uh, just jump straight in. And I want to uh, myth bust something that I read on the internet, which is that you knew James Beard as a child or met him. Well, you know, it just so happens he's actually my father, um, you know, <laughs> small world. And, you know, I, I think there was rumor that he may have been gay, but, you know, it's not. I'm his son, <laughs> his love child and his passion and his charisma drips through me. OK, uh, no, I, ne- I never had the opportunity to meet James Beard. Uh, the story was my grandmother used to entertain with James Beard um, at our beach house uh, in Gearheart, Oregon, where he also summered. Uh, so she got uh, the opportunity to actually cook with the legendary James Beard, and she was an amazing chef. But my father would, he joked, and he said, your, your, your grandmother's an amazing chef, but she was so nervous to cook with James Beard, she had burned water. <laughs> so. Well, yeah, what was it like to go to a James Beard, you know, dinner party, also, you know, collaboration with your grandmother? That must have been incredible. Yes. Well, like I said, I, I wasn't there for any of the James Beard dinners, but I was there for a lot of her incredible dinners. She was a huge entertainer in Portland, Oregon. Um, big, elaborate dinner parties with multiple courses, finger bowls, um, you know, that you'd rinse your little fingers in, which my mom jokingly told me to drink one time and I thought it was water. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we were the little country kids coming from Bend, Oregon on a big ranch, so we didn't have that elegant nature and we had a get on our ties and shine our shoes to go to grandmother's house. That sounds like a really good time, actually. Um, did, did she inspire you to get into cooking in any way, or how did you initially kind of pick it up? Um, you know, uh, she did. I really loved the elaborate dinner parties. She was a huge baker, um, like preserves, canning, her own garden. So I got to learn some of that stuff from her. Um, but also I learned it at the ranch working with my mom, uh, who was single mom. And my brother would be out, they'd be out, you know, fixing fence and taking care of the horses. And I would be cooking food for them, you know, just, you know, a simple steak and potatoes kind of stuff. Uh, So I was always cooking and I have pictures of me going to little cooking classes and making cookies when I was probably like seven years old. Um, And so, you know, as I grew up, I I was kind of always, you know, running the barbecue at the parties and having fun. And uh, I remember my dad came down, I was living in Santa Barbara with my brother and sister, uh, kind of messing around, acting like we were going to school at Santa Barbara City College. And I was doing theater arts. And my dad came and watched me in this play. I was so excited. And, you know, he was not a man of many words. But after the play, he said, you know what? He called me Moonchild. He goes, Moonchild, you are the worst actor I have ever seen. And just broke my little heart. And I said, Dad, what do you mean? He goes, why don't you do what you've always loved doing? And I was like, what is it, Dad? What is it? He goes, every time I'm around, all you are is cooking food for your friends and making cocktails. I was like, yeah. 
I said, I can make a living doing that. And he's like, all right, you're going to culinary school. So I went to culinary school, didn't really even enjoy culinary school very much because of the houndstooth pants and the paper hats and the cravats, the naked, the handkerchief things. But when I went down to the citrus for my internship in Los Angeles, Hollywood, Los Angeles, I got to work with the great Michel Richard and Alain Girard and these amazing French chefs. And when I walked in there and I saw the, the teamwork and the art and the energy and the plating, and there was a big glass window and these celebrities be watching what's going on in the kitchen, that's when I fell in love. And that's when I knew that I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life. And that's where I got the motto, uh, the motto of come early and stay late. You know, I had the opportunity to meet the, I didn't meet James Beard, but I did meet Julia Childs at this restaurant in Los Angeles called The Citrus. So that's amazing. So between, you know, you're going to cooking school, your internship, now you own a bunch of successful restaurants, you've been on TV. How did you get from that internship to where you are today? Uh, a lot of luck. <laughs> um, you know what? I have an uncle who's very, very successful. And I remember I was very young. That's probably my mid-teens or whatever and I asked him I said what is the key to your success and he says everyone thinks it's the big ideas and the big moves he said it's the day-to-day -day. it's taking care of the small things and as you take care of the small things time over time over time the big things take care of themselves so the attention to detail when I worked I did what the chef asked. I was always learning new things. I was learning either the good things or the bad things from all these great chefs. And I put it in my toolbox of life, right? And so I'd be like, wow, I really love the way this guy butchers, or I really love the way this guy schedules, or I really like the way this guy communicates with the guest, or I really like, or I really don't like, and I would never do that. And I got all those tools. And then when I had the opportunity to use them, um, they worked. So that already, it's already so much work and enough to be, you know, an amazing celebrity, talented chef, but what is it that made you want to start um, owning your own restaurants? I think, I'm sure there's many chefs who are just perfectly happy staying in the kitchen and working with menus and that sort of things, but what sets a chef apart from a restaurant owner and what made you want to uh, jump into that? Um, I had a, a mentor chef who I was working with. I had worked with up in Seattle. And um, I was kind of working for the man, working for the Ocean Air Seafood Room down here. And I had worked with him in Seattle at the Ocean Air also. And he had opened his own restaurant. He just got fed up with the system. And he ha had opened his own restaurant. And I was up there visiting him, telling him how amazing it was. Um, Kevin Davis was his name. It was Steelhead Diner right there in Pike Place Market. And he's like, Malarkey, you've got to open your own restaurant. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He goes, no, you've got to. He said, I made $16,000. And I was like, last month? He goes, last week. And I was like, da -da! <laughs> I was like, all right, I'm going to open my own restaurant. And that's when I was like, I'm not going to work for the man. I'm going to be the man. So you've worked in Seattle um, in Top Chef, you were in Miami, you know, and you've competed in Las Vegas. How much does the city matter to a chef? And do you take any of Oregon also into what you've done as a chef? You know, I couldn't be more proud of a city. Um, when I was up in Oregon going to culinary school and growing up and stuff like that, there was a couple of good restaurants, right? Good ethnic food, good restaurants. But I really consider Portland, Oregon to be one of the culinary meccas of the United States. Um, uh, rivals, you know, obviously Austin, 
rivals, even the big cities. I've eaten all over LA and there's great restaurants and I've eaten all over San Francisco and all over New York. Portland, Oregon has heart, you know? Um, I don't know if it's the weather or the mojo or the air or the cloudy air that they're smoking up there, but they put together incredible food and there's so many great passionate people up there in the farming region and the wine region and the, you know, the coastal access and the, you know, the organic markets up there. They're just doing phenomenal things up there. So a city really does, you know, challenge you and give you opportunities. And San Diego is kind of still in that up and coming mode, you know, but if you're cooking and chefs are a collaboration, you know, we get together at these festivals, um, at charity events, at bars, and it, you challenge each other and you look to see what other people are doing in your city. And that helps you raise and elevate yourself and your competitors and your environment. Yeah, I read a book recently talking about how sort of the culinary revolution that we've seen in the last, you know, decade, a little over a decade, kind of started in Portland. That was really interesting. Um, I'm wondering, like, how, why did you choose San Diego as a home base for your restaurants? What does it have to offer? Uh, so when I was up there in Seattle, I up in Seattle working at the Ocean Air, um, I was in my late 20s, and they were opening a brand new restaurant in San Diego, and they asked if I want to be the chef partner. And I was like, surf, yes, sun, beautiful, you know, incredible city, close to LA, but so much more relaxed. I jumped at the opportunity with my wife and we uh, bought a house down here um, and fell in love with the city. And the fact that um, I did appear on Top Chef representing San Diego, I'm very fortunate and happy that the city has essentially adopted me, you know? I'm not going anywhere now. So it's, it's great when you can get the support of a city behind you to support your restaurants and your concepts. And then, you know, I help with the charities and I do as much as I can down here to help influence, you know, new chefs, new restaurateurs. Um, so I just, I love the city and I'm just so proud of it and where it's going and how it's doing it. And, you know, the dining scene in Little Italy and what's happening up in Encinitas and the fishermen, the, you know, tuna, uh, tuna, uh, harbor over here um uh, you know the, you have the farmer jack and you have so many people contributing to our incredible uh food scene down here great vendors you know bob over specialty produce has really supported us forever uh patty from superior seafood just a really great community of great chefs and great people really trying to do something special you mentioned that it's up and coming and i'm just wondering are you worried about the pandemic affecting that <laughs> I'm worried about the pandemic affecting everything. Uh, you know what? What does not kill us makes us stronger. So there is going to be great things that come of this also. Uh, my friends, uh, Chris Gentile and his friend doing that pandemic pizza, people pivoting, people, you know, cooking in their apartments and selling the food and, you know, different to go and cooking outside. And we're just going to be more adaptable. We're going to be stronger. Um, there are maybe not many people making it as many restaurateurs making it through this, but I think the good operators, you know, are going to, and, uh, true talent will win. And when people have less or when people have, you know, they're saving their money, they're being very concerned about where they go eat out and what they're doing, they're going to spend their money in a more, in a smarter way. 
And I think they're going to go support really great food and really great people. And I'm not saying fancy by any means. I'm saying, you know, food with heart and personality, you know, stuff you get up on a convoy that you eat it and you feel the love. And, you know, people, true talent will survive. Just one last question for me before we move on. But what have you been ordering for takeout during the pandemic? Uh, I have a uh, Supani Thai down by my house in Point Loma, and I just love her. She's an amazing woman. Her name is Supani. Uh, the Thai food has so much personality, so much kick, so much flavor. Uh, it just really makes me very, very happy. Awesome. That's a great recommendation. Last question on the pandemic from me is, I'm curious about the outlook going forward because in the months ahead, it seems like San Diego is the best place to be um, as far as outdoor dining and sort of the weather helping our restaurants out. Do you think that a, this outdoor, I I know they've changed a lot of the um, policies and uh, permits and stuff so that people can have outdoor dining. Do you think that will stick? And then, you know, how do you think that's going to affect places like Portland where it rains a lot and uh, Seattle where it gets colder, way colder than here. Um, What do you see going forward? I would say that we're very, very fortunate to be down here in San Diego and have that opportunity for outdoor dining um, and having the city support by supporting us and letting us move into streets and parking lots and sidewalks, um, allowing us the opportunity to not have to jump through uh, hoops to get permits. Uh, allowing us the opportunity to sell alcohol to go um, and on the sidewalks. And I hope that they never take these things away because I think we're proving that we are civilized and capable of handling these things. And it makes it feel very European and very happy. And if we do, and when we do make it through this, if we are allowed to have these incredible outdoor cafes and we're allowed to sell uh, cocktails to go, it's going to increase our revenue for all of us. And it's going to be a very good thing and a win-win for all of us. And I find it almost medieval, kind of funny that to think that, you know, we wouldn't let anybody walk out our doors with a glass of wine. Like, you can't do that, you know? Um, And now I'm like going, why? You know, if you're an adult, you make proper decisions. You know, you have the ability to walk and go to the liquor store. Why can't you, if you're a rational person, I'm not saying... I'm saying like people are walking around and no chaos is happening and we're kind of enjoying ourselves like adults. So. So you recently been um, anime, your Pan-Asian restaurant downtown. It's outdoors now. You check the menu. How is that going? Uh, well, we're very, very fortunate and excited. We have Nate Appleman. Uh, hello, dog. Sorry. Um, we're very excited that we have uh, Nate Appleman here uh, in San Diego, um, you know, James Beard Award winner, food and wine, best new chef, really, really going to elevate all of the, the dining here in San Diego because his food is spectacular. Um, it's lighter, brighter than what we previously had at Anime, um, very fun, very playful. And our patio, thankfully, uh, our the team here at Pacific Gate are wonderful people who have the building above us and the bosa group and the hoa have given us their beautiful beautiful little side patio that has amazing uh, trees and plants and water features and elevation changes and i just don't know if there is a prettier place uh in san diego for outdoor dining it's just spectacular So most recently, we've seen you on TV for Top Chef All-Stars. And since you had previously competed in Top Chef, I wonder, are you just super competitive when it comes to these shows? 
<laughs> are you just super competitive when it comes to these shows or do you just enjoy the experience of doing that sort of thing? No, 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 no. So uh, Top Chef is exhausting. <laughs> it's uh, It took me 10 years, I guess, to forget how horrible it was. <laughs> um, I mean, we, when you're locked up in a house and it's like the Truman Show, you're in a fishbowl and there's cameras everywhere and they're watching you brush your teeth. Uh, they watch every move. You know, you get deprived of sleep. You have these insane challenges. Um, it's exhausting. It's just exhausting. I went on there to, you know, I'm a better chef today than I was the first time I was on there. I went on there also for, you know, exposure for the new brands, you know, the brands I was previously representing or I've sold and moved on from kind of a more exposure. Uh, I would say I went more for a marketing reason than, <laughs> uh, the joy of it, but when I do get into the, the competition, I, I do love it. I'm extremely fast. I'm very quick on my feet. Um, and I, you know, I can tell a good story also. So I, I, I'm pretty good at it. And funny thing is we're actually shooting an episode of Guy's Grocery Games Delivered in my house tomorrow. <laughs> um, so I'll have Guy on Zoom. There'll be three other celebrity chefs and we'll be cooking for charity out of our houses with delivered grocery items. So I think that'll be pretty fun. That is so cool. How can we watch that? Uh, it'll probably air in about three months. Uh, it takes them that long to edit it and chop it all up and everything. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Now, when you go compete on like a guy's grocery games or cutthroat kitchen that they used to have or chop, those are fun and easy uh, because it's an afternoon. It's a four hour commitment. You win, you lose, you play for charity. It's all fun. Those are all right. But when you go on Top Chef and you, you spend or waste six weeks of your life, you know, in quarantine and lockdown, this is my second quarantine in a year, you know, <laughs> um, because Top Chef is essentially a quarantine. You get locked away. How, how um, long had you lived in San Diego before you went on Top Chef? You know, I had been with the Ocean Air, I think, for maybe three years when I went on Top Chef. Um, so, and then I stayed with him for about, I stayed with him for two more years after Top Chef. Uh, Tom Clicchio, a wonderful, wonderful man, incredible chef and a very wise man, uh, took all of us young little punks aside back in the day. And he said, hey, I've watched from, I was on season three. He said, from the first couple seasons, he said, these guys go home and they get a little fame behind them. And they think they're ready to go open their own restaurants and they rush off and do it, but they don't have all the tools they need. And I've seen a lot of them go open restaurants and close restaurants very quick. He said, don't leave your job until you know that you know how to make money. You know the restaurant industry in and out and you're ready to really do it. He said, really, you know, take care of yourself and make sure you have the skill set. So I went back and continued working for a couple more years at the Ocean Air until I was really, really knew I knew what I was doing. How did you know you were ready? Uh, well, you know what? People in my business, I don't know if we're an incredibly smart lot, but we have a, a lot of courage, we'll say. Um, I think you just, you just get that, uh, you eat at other restaurants and you see other operators and you're going, well, if they can do it, I know I can do it because I'm going to do it better, you know? And uh, I've never been a chef that says it's all about the food. I understand the ambiance, the service, the cocktails, the entire experience. Um, and I have an incredible business partner who's done that with me. And he really has eyes on the, 
the whole front of the house operations and the whole design aesthetics of the whole thing, the volume controls. And so we really, between the two of us, see the whole package. And so Chris Puffer and I opened all these restaurants together. So you knew Anthony Bourdain. Uh, he judged Top Chef episodes you were a part of. You co-hosted with him on The Taste. Were you close with him? Um, you know, I was, uh, I was when we shot The Taste. Uh, I was in awe the first time I ever met him. That was on Top Chef. And it was the second episode of Top. No, it was the first episode of my season, season three Miami. Bourdain was the judge and I, the guest judge. And I was like, oh, we're all in awe. We were just like, minds blown. And, it was, and for those who haven't seen it, you had to cook eel and rattlesnake for it, him. It, it was the exotic surf and turf challenge. <laughs> and there was this whole like counter of, you know, gooey duck and sea urchin and black chicken and rattlesnake and eel. And I was like kind of later in the draw. So it was like 15 chefs and I probably drew like 13. There wasn't a lot left. And I was like, I'm going to make an impression on him, right? And I walked up and I grabbed the rattlesnake and I grabbed the eel. And he looked at me, he goes, kid, you have got some clangers, dude. <laughs> and I was like, and, and then I was going to just show him I was going to win this thing. And I just went out of my mind. I made a, a bento box that had fries with eyes. I did the loins. I did barbecue ribs. I made a soup. I made a saute. I did so many components. And it was my first time in like a time cooking challenge. And all of a sudden it was like two minutes. And I was like, no, and just trying to get everything on the plate. And I didn't do it. But if I had my dish, I mean, I got half of my components on the plate because it was four plates, really, you know, there's uh, uh, four uh, one of those little plates that has the four little compartments in it. And I mean, I was going for it and I wound up on the bottom and I was like, I'm going to get kicked off on the first episode of Top Chef by Bourdain. And I'm going to just, you know, cry for the rest of my <laughs> life. And, and I didn't. And then I came back and I like won the third episode and I won a couple more, but, Oh, you know, and he, he always remembered that I did that. And then when I was auditioning for the taste, he reminded, he said, God, I remember you. That was awesome. And um, we were all kind of typecast on that. Well, him and, him and Nigella were the executive producers, but of course she's the, uh, the, Eng the queen of England and he's the, you know, the tough New Yorker. And then Ludo was the, the, the crazy loud Frenchman and I was apple pie, <laughs> you know? I was the uh, West Coast American, you know, laid back, funny guy or whatever. And so uh, we had a great time. He was shooting the CNN shows at the time. And I would hang out in his trailer drinking really expensive tequila um, and secretly smoking cigarettes back in the day, which I don't do anymore. Uh, but uh, hanging out with Anthony Bourdain, he was showing me all of this unshown footage of CNN. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. And I was like, tell me stories and do this. And he had a daughter that was the same age as mine. They were about like three at the time. And all he wanted to do is show me pictures of his daughter and talk about kid stuff. And I was like, no, I want the, I want the intense, crazy Bourdain. Tell me the stories. And so we, we had a wonderful time. But um, I did get fired after the first season of The Taste. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't know you're supposed to let the boss beat you at golf. <laughs> uh, my, my, uh. my team won The Taste. Um, the first episode, Bourdain, was essentially the uh, moderator. 
of the taste. He'd be like, all right, there's 15 contestants and our competition is going to be this. And Bourdain's an amazing writer and he's an amazing person. And he's done, he's, he shrunk the world. He made it more approachable for people to eat ethnic foods and explain all this stuff. But what he wasn't really good at was spontaneous conversation during a silly cooking competition show on TV. You know, I mean, the taste was a direct ripoff of the voice. I mean, we had crack, we had horrible chairs. They hardly spun around, but it was kind of the same idea. It was pretty silly. I couldn't believe he was even doing it. I was just excited to be on primetime TV, so I was happy. But by the <laughs> third episode, I would be watching something going, something funny happening. I'd be like, three, two, one. Like, somebody take it, somebody take it. And then I'd be like, blah, 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 blah. And so Bourdain wasn't hot on his feet like that. So by the third episode, I was in charge of the moderation. I'd be like, there's nine contestants left because they'd speak in my ear and I'd just spit it out, you know? And so I became the voice of the taste, which didn't please everybody. <laughs> um, but it was all, it was great. It was fine. I didn't watch it. I got replaced by Marcus Samuelson. Um, I didn't watch an episode for the next, they had two more seasons of it. Um, it was, it was fine. I, I was brokenhearted, but I did and will always appreciate my six weeks I was with Anthony Bourdain. Um, and on that note, I will tell you the best Anthony Bourdain story. Uh, he was talking to me about Pappy Van Winkle and how about how much he loved this Pappy Van Winkle and this one year in particular, this 23 or something. And, uh, Lucian, who's now our general manager, anime and partner down here. He was our bar operator at Searsark at the time. And I, I called him up. I was like, hey, can you get this bottle of Pappy Van Winkle? He's like, I think so. I think so. And so I was like, Bourdain, I think I can get it. And he's like, you can't get it. I was like, I think I can get it. He goes, no, you can't. So a couple months later, we're doing the press tour for uh, the taste. And it's like 9 o'clock in the morning. We're up at some Hollywood lot. And the four of us are sitting at this counter taking questions from the press and everything. And I reach into my bag beside me. And I pull out a 23 Pappy Van Winkle. And he looks at me, doesn't say a word, gets up and goes over to the craft table, gets four plastic cups, puts one in front of <laughs> Nigella, one in front of Ludo, one in front of me, one in front of him, opens the bottle and pours it for us. And we drank the whole bottle that morning. <laughs> <laughs> I bet a lot of people would pay a lot of money to share, A, that drink, and B, do it with uh, Bourdain. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Do you have any other plans to, to go on TV, have a show of your own? Clearly, it's something it's, you're, you're good at and you like. Uh, yeah, you know, I've been in discussions with a few things, and I was hoping that the whole Top Chef thing would be another launching point. I've, shot many a many a pilots i've shot you know i've shot so many tv shows i did one with aaron andrews back in the day called kick off cook off on the learning channel tlc which is hilarious because there's nothing to learn on that channel um <laughs> where it was called uh what was it um oh kick off cook off and she was the sideline reporter i was the cheferee i mean i've made some bad tv right i was a cheferee and aaron would be like what's going on in there brian and it was professional uh football players cooking against their fans i'd be like it looks like jerry rice is going to be doing this blah 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 blah. oh oh yeah and then i would judge it and whistle and the whole thing it was so silly uh but we traveled all around the country making that show and then I did another one called Megabytes, where I created the Guinness World Record largest Rice Krispie treats that weighed 10,314 pounds. Pretty hilarious, right? <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, you know, that is the goal. It's great for marketing. It's great for brand building. Um, I enjoy the process and it's a lot of fun, uh, but nobody's developing new content right now. Yeah, it would be really, it would be really cool to see a San Diego based, really successful cooking show. Uh, I think so also. And uh, so we're working on that. You know, what I've done is uh, what's come about in this pandemic is um, the opportunity to do these corporate Zoom classes. Uh, my neighbor works for Dell. And early on, he was like, hey, you know, you guys are doing that employee relief fund, which I'm very proud to say we raised $100,000 that we distributed to our employees. Wow. Um, and that was by doing auction off dinners where we go to your house or dinners in the restaurant or by doing these um, these cooking classes online and I did the first one with Dell and they loved it where, you know, there'd be 50 or hundred people and they'd get a recipe at two days in advance. They'd be able to go get this stuff and then we'd cook it together and then they could ask questions and it was just fun. Um, we've turned it into a full blown business now where we have a lot of corporate sponsors and now we're actually shipping the ingredient boxes to your front door the day before so we unpack our boxes together and we cook all of this amazing food and it's really, really turned into a, quite a fun deal. That's so smart and inventive. Like I'm just really um, impressed by how um, people in general, but specifically you and your group have really, um, you know, adapted to sort of the pandemic. We're just trying. Every day is a new battle. <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we know you also have a virtual gala coming up, raising uh, money for um, a charity here in town for people with developmental disabilities. What is that? And what is it like to do these sort of virtual events? You know, um, I'm going to use my platform to help uh, as many groups as I can. Um, you know, I, 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 I love helping out local charities. I love supporting San Diego. Um, and uh, if we can raise some extra money, and right now, you know, I'm, I'm not able to donate dinners and stuff to the restaurant because we're just so beat up. Uh, so if I can help entertain or help influence and get people to reach into their pockets and, and give and support, you know, great causes, I'm all for it. Our final question for you uh, for the show, it's called Name Drop. We, at the end, like to ask our guests to name drop somebody in town who has influenced them, uh, inspired them, or just deserves a spotlight, who would that be for you? Huh. Um, you know, here in town, um, I, you know, it's, it's really my own, it's my own team. You know, I, uh, we have great chefs and great operators in all of our venues. And we're always looking for outside the box thinkers, people who want to come with fresh new ideas. Um, I obviously think Arcelon is just a, a creative genius and Jason McLeod, their entire group does incredible, incredible things. Brad Wise is in his group are aggressive and fun and really of the time and of the moment, you know, um, the campfire crew, uh, the June and Jolie, those people make me very proud. Uh, Travis Swinkert here in town is going to be really fun to watch him blossom and really bring something to San Diego. Um, you know, those people are really doing progressive, neat things. And then if you even go to like, um, uh, Mateo, who's got Buena Porchetta and stuff, uh, there's just great, great people really, really putting forth great products right now. Very cool. 
Well, thank you so much, Brian. I know you're very busy and you got a lot of uh, Zooming and TV type <laughs> stuff. Say hi to Guy Fieri for us. Oh, I will. Big fan. <laughs> I love it. All right. Cool. Thanks, I- Brian. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Christy, where are you ordering out tonight? I think I should go for some of the Thai he mentioned. It sounds so good. So thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We appreciate your support, and we hope you'll join us for our next episode. Yes, Name Drop San Diego comes out each Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on social media, so just search Name Drop SD on Twitter and Instagram to find us. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.